The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. The technological giant Apple is well known for products like the Macintosh, the iPhone, the the Apple Watch. And they, they are quite possibly one of the most successful companies when it comes to their marketing in recent history. Now, what's interesting about their approach to marketing, what you may not realize, depending on on whether or not you're familiar with the cult of Apple, is their approach to marketing actually actually borrows from from much of what we understand about religion. In in fact, their, their strategy to marketing borrows from what we understand about Christianity. In fact, one of their early employees, a man by the name of Guy Kawasaki, he was hired by Apple as a software evangelist. And so his title, Evangelist, which borrows from Christianity, which borrows from a number of religions, his job was to spread the good news about Apple. He actually said this about his company. He said, he said this, he said, my job at Apple was to proclaim the good news that Macintosh would make everyone more creative and productive. I wasn't just marketing a computer, I believed in it. So much that I wanted others to experience it too. Evangelists truly have the best interests of others at heart. See, in his mind, in the mind of his company, was that it was that if he truly believed in it and it actually was beneficial to other people, you wouldn't really have to market it. You would just you you would be an evangelist. You would be simply sharing the good news. That you wouldn't really be a salesperson because what you're offering to somebody is actually something they need. What you're offering to them is actually improving their life. And so he took this approach into the way that, that they went about their marketing, that, that he was actually making somebody's life better. And so then when somebody got the product, they would then also become an evangelist. Because the person who got the product, they used it and they believed in it. And when, once they believed in it, their, their friends, their family needed to hear about it too. I mean, think about how maybe some of you have even used one of these products. right? I'm guessing that you probably first experienced it because somebody you knew showed it to you. Right, because they evangelize the good news of that product. Now, no, van- no, no, evangelism, though, is this weird word. It's this uncomfortable word for many of us when we think about it within, a, within our, our religious context. Right? It's uncomfortable because we don't want to be that person. Right? We, we, maybe, maybe you don't see yourself as being somebody who's going to go door-to-door evangelizing. Or, or you don't want to be nagging your coworkers, Or you don't want to be the person who brings up religion at a, at a family conversation. And so we get uncomfortable with the idea of evangelism. But what's so interesting is that this company actually borrowed and brought that into their business world to help understand how they spread the good news that they believe about their product. See, it's not uncommon for churches to borrow from the business world because in some sense the church is an organization. But it is far less common for businesses to borrow from the mission principles of Christianity. But that is precisely what they've done. And the reason they've done that is because, because all of us are evangelists of something. They, now, you may not think in the, those words. You may, not, you may not think of it that way. But very simply, you will evangelize the things that you believe in and the things that you believe other people would care about. 
Like if you and I are talking about, about what food you should eat and, and, and you want some good fried chicken, I'm going to tell you about Gus's Fried Chicken in Detroit because I recently had Gus's Fried Chicken and it was incredible. And so if you're looking for a place to eat fried chicken, I'm going to, I'm going to evangelize the good news about their chicken because I know it will make your life better. Right? If, you, if, you, if I read an article and it makes me think of you and, and, it makes me, and it makes me think that, all right, you need to read this because it will make your life better because it will speak to a particular situation. I will, I'll email it to you. I'll text it to you. Right? I'll share it with you. Why? Because I read this message and I believe that message is something you need to hear. And so I'll quickly become an evangelist of that message. When, you, when you're a parent... See, before you're a parent, you get annoyed by all the parents who talk about their kids nonstop. But then once you become a parent, you become one of those people. And so what you do is you've become an evangelist of the good news about your kid. And so you share the stories of your kid. You share what your kids did. You share what they, what they said. Why? Because you, want, you love your kids and you want other people to see what you love about your kids. See, we share the good news that we believe in with other people. Because we want them to believe it too. And so while this, this might be intimidating, it might be a, a word that we don't necessarily like to use in, in a very basic level, it's simply sharing the good news about what we believe in. If you could turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 10, I want to spend some time looking at the words of the Apostle Paul. If you're using the Bible in front of you, it's on page 1761. And so the Apostle Paul is going to help us think about evangelism, think about what it means for us to share our faith, to share the, the message that we believe in. Today we're continuing a series called Songs of Christmas. And so the idea with this series is to use some of the beloved songs that we sing this time of year and use them as a jumping off point, a point of discussion to bring us into the scriptures and remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus and what God calls us to when it comes to our faith. Last week, Pastor Joe reminded us that, the, the, that Christmas, this season, the Advent season, is the most wonderful time of the year, not because of the decorations, not because of the songs, not because of the gifts, but because of the birth of a baby named Jesus. So you see, the reason Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year is because of the unspeakable joy that Jesus brings to us. Today, we're gonna, today we sang a song called Go, Go Tell It on the Mountain. In fact, some of you may not even actually realize that it was a Christmas song until you paid closer attention to the verses. And, it is a, and it's an incredible Christmas song that speaks of the hope, not only that we believe, but the hope that we share. See, I learned a, a few interesting things about this song. Go Tell It on the Mountain actually began as a slave spiritual. A song that was sung by African-American slaves. And so in the midst of their hurting, in the midst of their suffering, this, this was a song that they began to sing about the hope that they had. Which when you think about the words of the song, when you think about the situation, the context that this song then is birthed out of, what an incredible message. Right? People who are hurting, people who are experiencing injustice, people who are suffering, when the circumstances around them look quite hopeless, we, we hear these words that don't, don't at all sound like the situation that they were facing. Instead, they sing about the hope that came because of the birth of Jesus. Because, see, they, they understood that when Jesus was born, that meant that Jesus came to set the captives free. That Jesus came to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, to bring, to bring sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. That God's favor would be on all people. 
And so they saw themselves in the midst of their situations, in the midst of the suffering. They saw a hope that transcended any situation. They saw a hope that was bigger than their sin. They saw a hope that was bigger than their suffering. They saw a hope that was bigger than their circumstances. They saw a hope that was bigger than the injustice that they faced. They they saw a hope that came in the birth of Jesus. Now, this song was saved because of a man by the name of John Wesley Work. He was an African-American choir director. And so he believed that his congregation needed to preserve the songs of their ancestors. And so he wrote down a number of of these songs that that were slave spirituals. And so eventually then this song became a part of our repertoire of songs that we sing this time of year. And I think it's quite interesting then when we think about the words of that song and the weight that it carries even in our own world. Because we, we live in a world that is not not immune from the racial tensions, that, it, that, that does not avoid the unbearable pains, that, that experiences great suffering. See, many of us can look at our life and we've had moments where we feel like there's no hope. That we, we've experienced circumstances, we've experienced situations, and we don't know where to turn. Yet when we, when we hear the words of these songs and we look at the people who sang these songs, We see that they put their hope in something that was greater than all of those things. And they became the evangelists of that message. They said, that hope, we are going to go and tell it on the mountain. We're going to go tell it over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. Because that's that's what my kids need to hear. Because that's what my neighbors need to hear. That's what my owners need to hear. And so they evangelized that good news of Jesus to all people. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, Paul writes, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, Paul understands something about those who believe in the good news of Jesus. Paul understands about, about those of us who have hope who co- that comes in Jesus. Because you don't have that hope unless you believe it. And you don't believe it unless you have heard it. And you haven't heard it unless somebody has shared it with you. And then he says, so so because of that, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? How beautiful are the feet of those who share Jesus with you? Paul actually is quoting Isaiah chapter 52 when, when Isaiah writes, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. See, Jesus came to set us free. He came to set us free from the sin that enslaves us, from the suffering that that hurts us. And so he came to give us what we couldn't get for ourselves. And so this is what we see in Romans. This is what we see in Isaiah And so Paul reminds us that you have heard those things because somebody was sent with that message. Because somebody preached that message. See, you are here because of the work of a missionary. No, 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 you may not think of the people in your life as missionaries, but that is exactly why you're here. If you believe because your parents taught you, your parents were doing mission work. Your parents teaching you, your parents bringing you, your parents training you. That is the work of a missionary in your own home. 
You are here because of a missionary at your workplace who maybe invited you, who maybe opened a, began a conversation with you. A neighbor who asked you a question that you never thought about before. See, you are here because of the work of a missionary. And now you may tend to think of missionaries as people who go other places. But the reason you and I are here today are be, is because of missionaries. Missionaries who believed a message and wanted to share that message with us. Parents, friends, family members. In the midst of everyday conversations, in the midst of everyday situations, who shared Jesus with us because they believed that we needed to hear about Jesus too. See, what's interesting about, about Apple's approach to evangelism, what made it so successful wasn't the evangelists they had on staff. See, what made, what made Apple successful was not their software evangelists or their product evangelists. What made them so successful was that the people who bought the product then also became evangelists. See, what was made them so successful was that there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who believed in what they were offering. And those people, they began to share the good news in their conversations. ...with their friends, with their co-workers. And so it had this viral effect as it spread from person to person and person. Not because the professionals did it, but because everyday people did it in everyday situations. See, the most important opportunities for evangelism... ...will not be created by our staff. It'll be created by you. The most important opportunities for sharing the good news of Jesus are not going to be the programs we create. It's not going to be the events that you can come to. It will be the normal, everyday opportunities that you create. Because you listened. Because you prayed. Because, because you saw an open door and you asked a question. Because you extended an invitation. See, the most important opportunities are not by the professionals. They're by the people who live their lives every day. ...with the message of Jesus. Not because they need to sell it... ...but because there's a hope that they have. And you know somebody who needs that hope as well. See, what's so, what's so incredible about this mission... ...is this mission is attached... ...to a message that we believe in. See, there's no mission without a message... See, that, that, that reality is why this is not a sales pitch. See, if we didn't have the message, if we didn't believe in it, it would be a sales pitch. It would be just something that maybe I, I would guilt you into. It would be something that, that, you, that will make you feel better, but not really that you believe in. See, but it's believing in the message. It's knowing that you need Jesus. That is what sends you as a missionary. And so we are reminded that there is no mission without a message. See, you're not a good missionary because of how smart you are, because of how well prepared you are, because of the arguments you make. You're a good missionary because you need Jesus. And so when you talk to your friend who needs Jesus, you are uniquely qualified to talk about the need for Jesus, because you need Jesus too. See, so you, you, can, you can communicate the, the, the depth 
of Jesus' love because you know how much he loves you. You know your own sin. You know your own guilt. You know your own shame. And so when you talk to somebody who says, well, I don't know if God could love somebody like me. I don't know if God could, do, could cover that. You know, you know about the depth of his love yourself. See, the thing that qualifies you to speak into their situation is you know your own situation. In the midst of your own suffering, when you speak to somebody who is suffering, who, who feels like, well, God couldn't be there with them. The fact that you have suffered, the fact that you have faced great pains, qualifies you to speak into those situations. Not because you figured out how to fix your situation, but because you know how Jesus met you in that situation. See, you are a good missionary because you need Jesus. And the fact that you and I don't ever stop needing Jesus makes us great missionaries. Because we're sharing with somebody something that we need to. That when we speak about the hope that, that we believe they need, it's the hope that we need. When we speak about the forgiveness that comes in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're not speaking about something for somebody else. We're speaking about the thing that we preach to ourselves every single day. And so we share with people the peace, the joy... The love that comes in the birth of Jesus. Jesus in, in the book of John chapter 14 describes the peace he gives when he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, peace is not something that we can just get for ourselves. And in fact, when we look at our world, when we look at ourselves, we can see all the ways in which the world fights to take away our peace. Where we can look at the trouble, the unrest, we can look at the chaos, the, the list of things to do, the broken relationships, the never having enough, never doing enough, never being good enough. See, this world drives us to fear and fighting instead of giving us peace and healing. And so we never really get what we need. Now the world might make us offers of peace, but very rarely does it ever truly give us a rest for our soul. And then if that's not enough, we, cannot, we not only look outward, but we can look inward. We look into our own hearts. And see our, how our own sin takes away peace. How, the, how, our, how our own words, the things that we've said, how they have broken relationships. How they've driven a wedge between us and the people that we care about. We can see how our own greed has led to bad decisions. Decisions that didn't honor God or the people that we care about. We can look at those moments when we, when we had an opportunity to do what is right. Or take the easy way out. We can look at those moments when, when we made a decision that, that we knew that no one would ever find out about. And see what, we, what, what any of us who have been in those moments understand is that just because no one else will ever know doesn't mean that you're at peace. Because there is a guilt and a shame that comes even in those moments. And the way that Jesus responds to us in those places, those places where our sin has driven us away from peace, those places where our world has dis disrupted the peace, Jesus gives to us peace, but he doesn't give it to us the way the world gives. See, Jesus comes and he is born into this world. He takes on human flesh. And so in this dirty, smelly manger, the Christ child is born. That's not how the world brings peace. This is not how peace come, is supposed to come into the world. But it is exactly how God sends his peace to us. 
And then Jesus lives the life that you and I couldn't live. And then he gets hung on a cross. A cross meant to scorn and shame. And Jesus uses that public spectacle to be the place where he fights for peace. And he fights by sacrificing himself. See, Jesus gives us peace, but not the way the world gives us peace. See, he has unlocked us from the chains of slavery. He has set us free from every sin. And so the question is, who will you share that freedom with? Right, because if you, if you believe that message, if you believe that Jesus has done that for you, and you believe that the people around you need that too, wouldn't we share that with them? Wouldn't we, wouldn't we begin those conversations? Wouldn't we reach out to the people who, who need that freedom too? No, no, and again, this isn't suggesting that the freedom that we share determines the freedom we have. That is, that is absolutely not the case. Doing, saying something like that would actually put, put chains back on us. But, but, the, but here's the thing. If you believe in something and you know somebody who needs it, wouldn't we share that with them? See, every, every December it seems like there are these repeating battles that, that, that come out. The, the, these battles around Christmas. In the midst of the, the holiday, in the midst of the shopping, in the midst of, of the busyness, in the midst of the to-do list and the family parties. There, there's the, these repeated stories of a war for Christmas. And there, and there is truly a war for Christmas. And so we'll hear these stories of the, of the threat that Christ will be taken out of Christmas. That Christ will be removed from Christmas. And, and, the, and there, there is a threat. But, 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 but I, want, I want to challenge you to think about the threat. Of why Christ might be taken out of Christmas. See the greatest threat to Christ being taken out of Christmas. Isn't the stores you shop at or the coffee you drink. It's when Christians stop sharing Jesus. It's when you and I no longer go and tell it on the mountain. See, the, the threat for Christ to be taken out of Christmas is, is not dependent on whether a cashier at Walmart says Merry Christmas. The threat to Christ being taken out of Christmas is when you and I stop sharing Jesus with our neighbors, with our family members. And so the writers of this song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, in their soul, they knew about the hope that they had. And they believed that all people everywhere needed to hear about that hope. And as Christians, for us, to go tell it on the mountain means to go into our workplaces, to go into our homes, to go into our neighborhoods, to go everywhere with the hope that comes in Jesus. Martin Luther, in the book, when he was teaching about the book of Romans, he said the whole root and origin of our salvation lies in the God who sent. That the message of Christmas is that God sent his son. When the time is right, God became human flesh. And God sent his son on a mission to redeem and rescue a sin, sinful and broken world. And as God's church, God has chosen us and sent us on that same mission to bring the message of Jesus to all people. 
And see, even as I share this, I think about my own life. Because it's easy for me to, to share a well-prepared and thought-out message about Jesus. But the moments it's in a conversation with somebody in my normal interactions, it changes that. Right, and, so, and so I'll question, I'll wonder, all right, God, God who, well, yeah, I, I know I need to share my faith, but, but who should I share my faith with? And, and what if I share it with that person? And what if they don't respond that way? What if they ask a question that I don't have the answer to? If, or, or what if I make them uncomfortable? Or, or, or what, if I don't, what if I don't have the right response? Or what if they've already been hurt by the church? Or what if they already had this experience? And so I go over this list of, of, of item after item after item after item of why I shouldn't do that, of why I shouldn't approach that person, of why I shouldn't let them know I'm praying for them or give them an invitation or have a conversation. And see, what I find about myself is my fear often will paralyze the mission. That I know the mission and I know the hope, but there's all these fears that get in the way in the middle. And so I know the people that I, I, I could share with. E even in simple ways. Even, even in ways like, like a text message or going out for a coffee. But all these fears leave me frozen. In the book of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has a conversation with the disciples. And in Matthew 10, I find this, this, this scripture incredibly freeing when I, when I think about the way that Jesus sends the disciples out with, with the message of Jesus. The 12, the 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So Jesus is giving them a specific, a specific people to go to. Go to the, she, the lost sheep of Israel. And he says, now go proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So he sends them to a specific people with a specific message. He says, bring this good news. Bring this hope to that people. And then a few verses later, he, he says this. He says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. I, I notice, the, notice what Jesus says there. All right, there, there are specific people with a specific message. And as you go, what Jesus doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to you, make a better argument. Right, it just doesn't say, if anyone will not, will not welcome you or listen to you, Give up and don't share your faith with anyone. Jesus doesn't say, All right, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, get angry, get frustrated, and, and call them names. Right? Jesus doesn't say any of that. No, his, his response is very simple. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, just shake the dust off your feet. A friend of mine paraphrases this by saying, it's okay to shake dust. See, I, I don't know about the relationships you have. I don't, I don't know about how those conversations might go. I don't know how a, a coworker might respond to an invitation. I don't know how a family member might respond to, to a conversation about Jesus. I don't know how a friend that you haven't talked to might respond to a text message letting them know that you want to pray for them and how can you pray. I, I don't know how somebody might respond to any of those things. But what I do know is that there is a hope that we have. And there are people who need that hope. And, and we can't change people. But it's not our job to change people. 
And so Jesus gives us a message to share and says, it's okay to shake the dust. Share the message. Share the hope. Begin a conversation. And if they're not interested, shake off the dust and move on. Because it is okay to shake the dust. So I want to challenge you this Christmas season to think about the people in your life, who you might be able to share your hope with. I want you to think of somebody that, may, that maybe you can reach out to in the coming weeks. Whether that be an email, a phone call, a text message, letting them know that, that you're thinking about them, praying about them. Whether that be a conversation. Maybe, maybe for you in the coming weeks, it's listening for an opportunity. That something they said gave you an opportunity to ask the follow-up question. Or, or, maybe it's ask, or maybe it's just an extending an invitation. It's not a conversation about Jesus, but it's an invitation. Maybe it's inviting their family to come to something like the carols and cookies and say, all right, we have this, this opportunity where you can come, you can eat a bunch of cookies, and we can sing some Christmas songs. There's not even going to be preaching, so you don't have to worry about that. So I, I don't know what the opportunity will look like for you to share the hope of Jesus this Christmas season. But I knew, do know that there's a hope that we have. Because a baby has been born. And we are given the privilege to go and tell it on the mountain. And as we do that, despite our fears, we can remember it's okay to shake the dust. I'm going to close in prayer and then we'll prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus, we thank you for the hope that we have that comes in you alone. A hope that comes not in what we do. A hope that comes not from our ability or our efforts to share that good news, but it comes from the mission that you, that you came, that you gave your life for us. That while we are still sinners, that you died for us, that you paid the price that only you could pay. And so remind us of that hope. Remind us of how your body and your blood give to us that life and send us out. Send us out to our friends and our families and our neighbors with that hope that we have in you alone. And as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, we, we ask that you hear us. Hear us as we look at our lives honestly, as we look at our own sins, our own failures to love you with all our heart, our own failures to love our neighbor as ourself. And hear us as we personally and quietly confess to you our sin. The hope that we are reminded of in Jesus is that he was born to die. And because of his death and resurrection, there is no sin that will separate us from the love of our God. And the promise I, I have the privilege to declare to you is that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.